So let's be open to hear God's word as Sham brings our reading now. I'd like to be seated in Theorian Church here as we think of the way the witnesses of God are revealed. Thank you. Good morning. The reading today is taken from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Oh, it's one John. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I've been practicing the wrong reading then. <laughs> okay, the reading is taken from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in them purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. This is the word of the Lord. More success taking that off than Aidan had last week. Well, good morning, everyone. And a particular good morning to you if you're at home. I hope you're sitting comfortably. And for you in church, I hope you're sitting equally comfortably. If you're at home, you don't know what's behind the camera. You can't see what I can see, can you? Well, let me tell you that there are a church full of people here. On pre recent Sundays, we've had between 60 and 80 people, all socially distanced, uh, all wearing their masks, lovely smiling faces, I hope. <laughs> so if you'd like to come, Maggie and her team do a brilliant job of keeping us all secure, safe, and distance, as does Sally at the 9.15 and Anne at uh, Thursday morning. So do come if, you, if you'd like to. So we're learning to live his resurrection life. This is the focus of our series after Easter. We're bringing together the risen life of Christ with our life. So I wonder, are you ready for a good dose of resurrection life? Well, frankly, many of us might just feel that we're reeling from recent events. Whether we've been weeping with Joe and Sean over the loss of Huxley's sight. Whether we've been watching the Queen saying goodbye to her beloved husband. Whether we've been remembering all, that, all those we have lost in this past year. 
I'm sure they won't mind saying, but as I was reflecting this morning, there's scarcely a person in my home group that isn't affected at the moment by loss or upheaval or suffering. This morning, you may well be the exception if you have not come with a heavy heart. We may well be, as Mary Magdalene was, there in the twilight. We may well be heartbroken, confused, tearful, devoid of sleep. Yet the risen Jesus was there in the garden to meet her, and the risen Jesus is here this morning to meet us. So let's pray together. Father God, we come this morning just as we are, battered and bruised by the events of life. We're not putting on a front. You see us as we are. Strengthen us in our weakness. Give us peace in the storm. Speak your word so that we may know the reality of the risen life of Christ in our broken hearts this morning. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in this second of our series, we're looking at the witness, the life, a life of witness as we look at this passage in 1 John chapter 3. Last week, Aidan kicked us off thinking about a life of faith. For some, it's a spiritual gift. For others, it's a muscle that needs strengthening. Today, we think about a life of witness. So what do we mean by witness? Many years ago, I was taking a group of customers at work to a conference at our head office in Pennsylvania. We flew into New York on the Saturday afternoon. We had dinner out, and I told them, most strictly, you have to be on the coach 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, they were. And what do you do on a Sunday morning in New York City? You go to church. So we went uptown to Harlem Central Baptist Church. Wow, we stood out. <laughs> Fifty stiff white Brits in a large swathed congregation of black Pentecostal hallelujah people. For many, it was the first time they'd ever been to church, and even fewer had heard the gospel preached. It caused quite a stir. And after the service, we had a four-hour coach drive into Pennsylvania, into Amish country. So to sensitize my group to the old-fashioned but deeply devout Mennonite Amish, on the journey, I showed them the film Witness with Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. It's based on the story of a crime that someone in the Amish community had seen firsthand. He was an eyewitness. He'd seen it himself. He was the witness, hence the eponymous name of the film. Something similar happened to me on the M62 one early one morning near Manchester when a van in front of me suddenly sideswiped a Volvo estate. And the police asked me, were you an eyewitness? Can you tell us what happened? Well, Mary Magdalene was that eyewitness to the resurrection. Unlike Thomas and the other disciples who hadn't seen, so didn't believe until they did see, she saw and believed. And the gospel gives us an eyewitness account. 
But what did Jesus say to Thomas? Blessed are those who do not see, yet believe. And that's us. We are not the eyewitnesses. So to what are we witnesses? Well, there's a second type of witness, and I'm going to call it a character witness. It happens in court, doesn't it? A character witness is called to vouch for somebody that they know. And it happens with a job reference as well, doesn't it? You know the applicant, so you can describe them, you can testify for them, you can tell the employer what they're like. Have you noticed this week people have been doing that for us about Prince Philip? People have been coming forward to tell us what he was really like, to show us a side of him that we may not have known. Unlike a witness who sees something, a character witness is someone who knows someone. Is that more like it? We haven't seen Jesus, but we know Jesus. We, can be, we can't be his eyewitnesses, but we can be his character witnesses. But there's a third type of witness, and this is the one on which I want us to focus this morning. It's the witness of transformation. If you've ever asked a pre-teenage boy what he wants for his birthday, he may well ask you for a transformer. Not the electrical sort, but there's a bit of a craze in toys that outwardly look like something normal, maybe perhaps a truck, but with a few twists and a bit of manipulation, they convert into something like a robotic superhero. It's essentially the same thing, but it's been transformed into something unrecognizable. That's the witness of transformation. And the witness of transformation is personal. It's not, the, not being an eyewitness of seeing something else. It's a witness to what has been changed in you. It's the change you have experienced and keep on experiencing. It's the testimony of the life of Jesus in you. So we're going to need the help of 1 John chapter 3 to look and understand at this transformation. Verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Notice that word now. Now we are children of God. Once we weren't, now we are. That's transformation. Being a child of God is not our natural state. It's a transformation caused by the love that God has lavished on us. Our position has changed. Once we were enemies, now we are children. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's transformation. It's the same you, but you're totally transformed. You know what happens to that little caterpillar that's just appearing on the trees right now, don't you? It gets transformed into a beautiful butterfly. It's a miraculous transformation. It's still the same entity, but it's reborn. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Talking of birthdays, I noticed that 
April is very much our clergy birthday month. Aidan admitted to it last Sunday, didn't he, that he just had his birthday. And I know that this coming Friday, it's Joe's birthday. He doesn't look old enough, does he? And then on Sunday, it's Paul's birthday. I never forget that because it's somebody else's birthday on Sunday as well. So back to our caterpillar and our butterfly and the need to be born again. Our old self dies, and in Christ we become a new creation, a transformation from death to life, achieved by Jesus' death on the cross, paying the price for sin, rising again and cancelling the power of death, setting us free. This is ours if we believe it, if we accept it. So this is the first witness of transformation, death to life, reborn by the Spirit of God, made children of God. But there's a second transformation, which we find in verse 2. John writes, We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We will be like the risen Christ. We, you, we will be like him. And that process has already started. Paul writes about us being transformed already. 2 Corinthians 3, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Present tense, we are being. We started as being transformed from enemies to children, and now we continue to be transformed to be ever more like Jesus. It's still the same you, but you're being changed, a witness of transformation. And then in verse 3, John moves on, referring to those who have become children of God. He says, everyone who has this hope purifies themselves. Here is the process of purification, of washing, of cleaning, of getting rid of the dirt and filth and being transformed into the image of Christ. Don't you love those little videos of animals sitting in front of the washing machine, looking through the glass door, watching the washing going round and round and round. They are watching a process of purification. The dirty washing is getting pummeled. It's turned upside down. It takes a real pounding. But during all that agitation, the detergent is quietly at work. And the results, so the adverts tell us, is unbelievable. There's an imperceptible transformation going on. You don't see it, but while the clothes are being beaten up, they are being changed. Do you know that often when you are feeling most beaten up in life, that's the time that God is at work in you, purifying you to make you more Christ-like? What's happened to all your dirty washing? Well, John says in verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away your sins, and in him is no sin. You have been washed clean. God doesn't see your sin anymore. He only sees Christ's righteousness in you. That's transformation. In Revelation, John again says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love that. That's a great image, isn't it? Washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Your sin is no more. 
Christ has taken it away. You don't have it. And he doesn't have it either because John says here, in him is no sin. So that's the miracle of forgiveness. Your sin exists no longer in any form anywhere. Not even aerial biological can do that. And so in verse 6, we have the final confirmation of this transformation. John says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And that's one of those verses that's supposed to elicit an unbridled hallelujah. And my friends in Harlem Baptist Church would have certainly given you some of those. But instead, as I read that verse, it starts to send a shudder down my spine. Because I've just prayed a prayer of confession. Because we've sinned. So does John mean that I am now disqualified? That I'm back under condemnation because I've sinned? Because he says sin means disqualification. But it's really important that we understand this in totality. We have to read that verse 6 in the context of what John has written earlier in chapter 1 and verse 6. As I read it, listen carefully. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So sin disqualifies us, and we are liars if we say that we have no sin, but if we confess our sin, he forgives, he purifies. Hallelujah. Perhaps Peter can help us fully understand this when Jesus came to wash his feet in John 13. Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, referring to Judas. Now this might seem a complicated argument, but it's essential for us to understand. When we accept Christ, we are washed clean. That's our bath. Jesus told Peter, you are clean, and yet he needed his feet washing. There is a difference between the act of disobedience, which we deeply regret, and choosing to live in disobedience, of which we're proud. We just heard John talking about walking in darkness and walking in light, and this is the key to the puzzle. If you're walking in light, and you stumble, bring it to God in confession, and you will be clean again. Repentance means 
that you will make every endeavour not to make that stumble again. I personally prefer to use the word repent rather than confess, because to me the word repent shows the remorse. Uh, That is how our relationship with sin is to be defined. It's to be a relationship of remorse. The more our hearts are changed, the more we will walk in step with the Spirit, and the more we will live lives which witness to a transformation from death to life. So we have a a witness of transformation from death to life, and now we have a witness of sanctification, purification, being transformed to be like Jesus. I like John Newton's quote. He said, I am not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I used to be. That's transformation. So we've seen that life of witness can be an eyewitness to events, it can be a character witness to a person we know, and most significantly it can be a testimony to the transformation that we've experienced, like that little caterpillar, transformed from life to death, and then being transformed again into the likeness of Christ. So here comes the rub as we ask ourselves the question, is my life a life of witness to transformation? Do I have the confidence to say, yes, I am living an ever-increasingly transformed life? Because it's more likely that this morning you feel like you're just about hanging on rather than being transformed in some great way. You may have difficult relationships to deal with, health problems, Maybe the pain of loss or loneliness, fears and anxiety. If these are your bedfellows, then where is your witness? Where is this transformation? Well, as we close, let me suggest there are two ways in which your life might be a witness to the transformation of the risen life of Christ. For some, our testimony looking back is that Christ has carried us through that valley of suffering. In the valley of the shadow of death, he has comforted us. He did not allow that bruised reed to be broken, but in our tears, he has supported us. This might not be the stuff of YouTube testimonies, but for many of us, this is our reality. And in it all, Like the coming of spring, God is imperceptibly changing us, bit by bit. In the storm, we've learned that Jesus is in the boat with us. We couldn't see the way forward, but he's been there for us. The hymn says, the storm may roar without me. My soul may low be laid, but God is round about me. That's it, God is round about us. In your storms of life, these imperceptible transformations are bearing fruit. Maybe even the fruit of the Spirit. 
Maybe that fruit of the Spirit now allows you to love those who have upset you. Maybe it allows you in adversity to rejoice, like Paul and Silas in prison. Maybe in times of anxiety, it brings you peace instead of worry. Maybe you've learned patience because of your trust in Jesus. Maybe you are able to express kindness to others, thinking more of them than about yourself. Maybe when it's easy to lose your temper, you now find that you're self-controlled. In Christ, adversity can bear a new kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of transformation. Transformed behavior raises questions, and questions give opportunity for testimony. And testimony is a witness to the transformation that God has worked in your life. Jesus' purpose when he met Mary in the twilight of that garden was for a church that would be a people transformed as a beacon in a dark world. A people who would not fear the future because they were safe in his hands. A people who wouldn't be anxious or self-centered. A people who are loyal and generous and unassuming, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is his risen life in our hearts. This is the hope to which he has called us. And this is our witness as we learn to live his risen life, a life which stands as a witness to his transforming love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the transforming work of Christ in my life. Thank you that through his death and resurrection, I have been transformed from death to life, from an enemy to a child of God. Thank you that that transforming work continues as I witness your grace in my life. And in the storms that I'm in, and in those that lie ahead, I pray that my life will be a witness to the transforming work that you have done, so that glory will be given to your name. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.